York. This is Democracy Now! But the reason I'm here is because these drag bands, they've never been about drag, right? Because these are the same people that are coming for medically necessary gender-affirming care. These are the same people trying to kick our kids out of sports. These are the same people trying to reject HIV funding for this state. The nation's largest lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer civil rights organization has declared a national state of emergency in the United States due to an unprecedented wave of anti-LGBTQ plus legislation. We'll speak to the president of the human rights campaign, Kelly Robinson. Then to Cornell West, the famed public intellectual has just announced he's running for president to challenge both the Democratic and Republican parties. In these bleak times, I have decided to run for truth and justice, which takes the form of running for president of the United States as a candidate for the People's Party. I enter in the quest for truth. I enter in the quest for justice. And the presidency is just one vehicle to pursue that truth and justice, what I've been trying to do all of my life. All that and more coming up. Welcome to Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Air quality alerts were issued across multiple U.S. states and cities Tuesday, as well as today, as thick, dark smoke from Canada's hundreds of blazing wildfires blanketed the skies of the Northeast, Midwest, the Ohio Valley and the Mid-Atlantic. The haze has triggered dangerous air pollution warnings impacting tens of millions of people, with New York City reporting the worst air quality in any major city worldwide Tuesday. There are over 400 blazes burning across nearly all of Canada's 10 provinces and territories forcing tens of thousands of people to evacuate. The province of Quebec is facing some of the worst fires, many caused by lightning, covering neighboring Ottawa and Toronto with an orange haze. U.S. and Canadian officials are urging people with heart and lung issues and other vulnerable groups to remain indoors as much as possible. Record-breaking heat waves continue to plague much of the planet. The heat index in Puerto Rico reached 125 degrees Fahrenheit this week as the island is hit by the combined effects of a heat dome, El Nino, and climate change. Meanwhile, many Asian countries are sweltering under a prolonged heat wave, including Bangladesh, where elementary schools were shuttered this week and residents are dealing with frequent power cut outages as temperatures topped 100 5 degrees Fahrenheit. Many workers are still forced to spend hours outdoors with no relief. The water shortage and the heat are suffocating us. Not a leaf is moving anywhere. There's no shade. It is becoming tough to pull a rickshaw. Very difficult. This comes as a new study published this week by Nature Communications finds the Arctic is expected to be ice-free during the summer months, starting as early as the 2030s. Even in a best-case emissions reduction scenario, which the world is not currently on track to achieve, scientists say the loss of Arctic sea ice in the summer is now inevitable in the next few decades. 
Activists from the direct action group Climate Defiance stormed a talk hosted by the news site Semaphore in Washington, D.C., Tuesday, shutting down Senator Joe Manchin's keynote address. Is it because he takes the most money from fossil fuel corporations? He has received over $1 million just in the last year alone from fossil fuel interests. He's the number one recipient of fossil fuel money in Congress. Manchin was promoting so-called permitting reform, which allows for the fast-tracking of fossil fuel projects. The recently passed debt limit deal gave the green light to expedite the 300-plus mile-long frack gas Mountain Valley pipeline through West Virginia and Virginia. Evacuations continue in southern Ukraine as some 42,000 people are at risk of flooding along the Dnipro River after the Nova Khakovka Dam collapsed on Tuesday. Russia and Ukraine have traded blame for its destruction. The U.N. has warmed of grave and far-reaching humanitarian consequences. This is a resident affected by the flooding. The situation is literally critical. If the water rises another meter, we will lose our house. We are moving our stuff to neighbors now who live on higher ground. The Russians want to destroy a Ukrainian nation and Ukraine itself, and they don't care by what means because nothing is sacred for them. Mexican President Andres Manuel López Obrador's ruling political party has won the gubernatorial election in the state of Mexico, dealing a major blow to the Institutional Revolutionary Party, or PRI, which had held the state's governorship for nearly a century without interruption. Morena candidate Delfino Gómez won in Sunday's governor's race with over half the vote. Her victory continues to mark the PRI's decline in Mexican politics since AMLO's election to the presidency. The state of Mexico is the most populous in Mexico, surrounding much of Mexico City. In related news, Mexico's foreign minister, Marcelo Ebrard, announced Tuesday he's stepping down to run for president in next year's election. In France, protesters took to the streets around the country and transport workers staged strikes Tuesday as opponents of President Emmanuel Macron's pension overhaul seek to revive public momentum against the reform nearly two months after it was signed into law. A long-shot amendment is being brought to the National Assembly by leftist lawmakers, though it's not expected to go anywhere. Many demonstrators say they just want their voices heard. This is a student from Nantes. The reform passed without our democracy, so it's important to make the government understand that we never wanted this reform and that it's time for the people to speak, because it shows that the government cares less and less about people's will. And so it's important that we take the power back on that level. Secretary of State Antony Blinken's in Saudi Arabia, where he met with Crown Prince, de facto head of state Mohammed bin Salman in Jeddah. Blinken said the pair, quote, discussed deepening economic cooperation as the U.S. vies to increase its sway in the region, including over gas prices amidst competing bids for influence from China and Russia, and to push for the normalization of Saudi-Israeli relations. As a presidential candidate, Biden vowed to make Saudi Arabia a pariah over its human rights record and the assassination of journalist Washington Post columnist Jamal Khashoggi. In related news, Iran has reopened its embassy in Saudi Arabia after it recently restored diplomatic ties in a Beijing-brokered deal. 
In sports news, the PGA, the Professional Golfers Association of America, announced a merger of their PGA Tour with the Saudi Live Golf Tour. The news came as a shock to much of the sports world, as the PGA spent months trying to undermine Live by banning golfers who joined the Saudi venture from participating in PGA events. Critics say it's the latest example of sports washing to gain cultural and corporate influence by a country accused of massive human rights violations. The U.N. Relief and Works Agency has only received about a third of the $300 million in funding it needs from international donors to continue its humanitarian work in the occupied territories and Palestinian refugee camps in surrounding countries. U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres warned UNRWA is, quote, on the verge of financial collapse. Meanwhile, a group of Gazan children Tuesday demonstrated in front of the local offices of the U.N. Food Program after the U.N. agency recently stopped distributing financial and food aid to families in need due to funding shortages. The ongoing occupation and blockade of Palestinian land by Israel has put the unemployment rate in Gaza at above 45 percent as two-thirds of the population struggles to afford food. Democratic Senator Chris Van Hollen is calling on the U.S. State Department to declassify its report on the killing last year of Palestinian-American journalist Shireen Abu Akhla by Israeli forces in the occupied West Bank. Van Hollen said the report offers some valuable information, though noted access to key witnesses was denied and the findings cannot be considered a true independent investigation. Shireen Abu Akhla, a longtime reporter at Al Jazeera, was shot dead by Israeli gunfire last May while covering an Israeli raid in the occupied West Bank in Jenin. In Virginia, a gunman shot two people dead and injured another five Tuesday after a high school graduation ceremony at a park in Richmond, Virginia. Police arrested a 19-year-old suspect who was found in possession of four handguns. According to the Gun Violence Archive, it was the 279th mass shooting in the U.S. this year. This is Richmond Mayor LeVar Stoney. This should not be happening anywhere. Anywhere. Whether it's in Richmond, whether it's in Virginia, whether it's in the United States, this should not be happening anywhere. A child should be able to go to their graduation and walk out their graduation and enjoy the accomplishment with their friends and their family. In Florida, the family of Ajike A.J. Owens is seeking accountability after the black mother of four was shot dead through her neighbor's front door last week. According to lawyer Ben Crump, the neighbor yelled at Ms. Owens' children for playing in a field next to their apartment complex and used racist slurs. When the children returned to retrieve a forgotten iPad, she threw it at them and hit a child. Ms. Owens went to confront the neighbor and threw the closed door, the neighbor inside, Owens outside, she shot and killed her. The neighbor has been identified as a white woman, though her name has not been released. The human rights campaign has issued its first ever state of emergency for LGBTQ plus people in the U.S. amidst an onslaught of hateful legislation. More than 525 anti-LGBTQ state bills have been introduced in the 2023 legislative session. Over 70 of those have become law. 
The group released a guide listing state-by-state anti-LGBTQ laws and a know-your-rights guide for LGBTQ plus travelers. We'll speak with HRC President Kelly Robinson after headlines. In related news, a federal judge blocked parts of a Florida law banning gender-affirming care for transgender youth. Judge Robert Hinkle asserted gender identity is real, as he ruled in favor of the families of three transgender children who will be allowed to obtain prescription puberty blockers. Other parts of the wide-ranging ban remain in place. Meanwhile, Louisiana's Republican-dominated legislature passed its own ban on gender-affirming care for most minors Tuesday, sending the bill to the Democratic governor, John Bell Edwards' desk. Though the governor has opposed the bill, a GOP supermajority could override his veto. In Texas, the Bear County Sheriff's Office is recommending criminal charges over the migrant flights arranged by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis that carried 49 asylum seekers from Texas to Martha's Vineyard last year. The case is being reviewed by the district attorney's office. This comes as California Governor Gavin Newsom is threatening possible kidnapping charges after Florida arranged for two planes carrying around three dozen migrants to be flown from the U.S.-Mexico border to Sacramento in recent days. Pharmaceutical company Merck is suing the Biden administration over its law empowering Medicare to negotiate for lower prices on some drugs passed as part of last year's Inflation Reduction Act. Among others, Merck's highly anticipated cancer medication could be affected by the change. The White House responded to the suit Tuesday. There is nothing the Constitution that in the Constitution that prevents Medicare from negotiating lower drug prices. Anytime profits of the pharmaceutical industry are challenged, they make claims about it hindering their ability to uh, innovate. Not only are these arguments untrue, but the American people do not buy them. Attorneys representing former President Donald Trump met with special counsel Jack Smith at the Justice Department Monday in a last-minute plea to avoid an indictment of the former president. Trump's lawyers had requested to meet with Attorney General Merrick Garland. It's believed the conversation focused on grand jury investigations around Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election, his role in the January 6th insurrection, and his mishandling of classified documents. Meanwhile, Donald Trump's former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, has reportedly testified to the federal grand jury in Jack Smith's probe. And members of Hollywood's largest union, SAG-AFTRA, overwhelmingly voted to authorize a strike as the entertainment industry fights back against pay issues, the impact of streaming services on residuals, and the threat of AI to workers' livelihoods. Union members hope the nearly 98 percent vote backing a strike will help move talks with studios and streaming companies forward. This comes as Hollywood writers are in the sixth week of their strike. Many actors have joined WGA members in solidarity on the picket line since the start of that strike. Without the writers and the actors, there's no story and there's no one to bring the story to life. So, you know, we're very much uh, a, a collaborative effort out here. And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. Coming up, the nation's largest lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender and queer civil rights group has declared a national state of emergency in the United States. Stay with us.
The De-Influence Mix of Another Day by Kathy Sledge. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. The largest lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender and queer civil rights organization in the United States has declared its first-ever state of emergency due to an unprecedented wave of anti-LGBTQ plus legislation. The Human Rights Campaign says more than 525 anti-LGBTQ state bills have been introduced this year in the 2023 legislative session. Over 70 have become law. In the latest move on Tuesday, Louisiana's Republican-dominated legislature passed a ban on gender-affirming care for most minors, sending the bill to the Democratic governor, who's opposed it, but a GOP supermajority in the legislature could override his veto. Most major medical groups, including the American Medical Association and the American Academy of Pediatrics, support gender-affirming health care for transgender minors and adults. Also Tuesday, a federal judge temporarily blocked Florida's bans on gender transition care for three transgender children amidst ongoing legal challenges. Their families filed a lawsuit arguing the bans are unconstitutional, and the judge agreed they represent, quote, purposeful discrimination against transgenders. Meanwhile, in the Los Angeles suburb of Glendale, police declared an unlawful assembly Tuesday night after more than 500 people protested outside a school board meeting where a vote was scheduled on recognizing June as Pride Month. A physical fight broke out between anti-LGBTQ protesters and LGBTQ supporters, and the brawl was so big it was picked up by a local news traffic cam. This comes as 2024 Republican presidential contender Nikki Haley tried to connect teen girls' suicidal ideation to transgender rights during a CNN town hall Sunday. The idea that we have biological boys playing in girls' sports, it is the women's issue of our time. My daughter ran track in high school. I don't even know how I would have that conversation with her. How are we supposed to get our girls used to the fact that biological boys are in their locker rooms? And then we wonder why a third of our teenage girls seriously contemplated suicide last year. A recent report by the Trevor Project, the world's largest suicide prevention and mental health organization for LGBTQ young people, found roughly half of transgender and non-binary young people said they'd seriously considered suicide over the last year. And 30 percent said laws and policies that target LGBTQ people had worsened their mental health. This is Nebraska State Senator Megan Hunt, whose son is transgender, responding to Republican Governor Jim Pillen after he signed a bill last month that bans gender-affirming treatment for transgender youth, Hunt had joined a months-long filibuster to block the measure. This person said that they had attempted suicide during this session in Nebraska, a trans person. And I said to them, do not let one of these trash people who I work with be the reason that you're not here. They don't matter. The potential you have for the rest of your life is so much bigger than the damage any of these trash people can do in their little four-year, eight-year term. Senator Kalthus stood up and said that trans kids are suicidal and depressed because they're trans. No, it's because of bullies like her who are trying to legislate their existence and take away their right to be viewed as fully human in our culture and society. For more, we're joined by Kelly Robinson, president of the Human Rights Campaign, the largest LGBTQ plus civil rights organization in the United States. This is the first time in the 40-year history of your group 
that you've decided to issue this emergency declaration. Talk about why you did this, Kelly Robinson. Thank you. You know, we felt like we had a responsibility to do so. I mean, you've laid it out. We've seen unprecedented attacks at the legislative level. We're seeing real life violence impacting our community from California to the one in five of every hate crime being motivated by anti-LGBTQ plus bias. And in this moment, when people are traveling across the country, when they're deciding to move or what schools to go to, we had a responsibility to let people know that one, there's an imminent health and safety crisis facing our community. And two, there's a dizzying patchwork of protections for us and for our families, depending on the state that you're in. This report lays that out and also gives resources on what your rights are and what you can do if you find yourself in one of these hostile states. Can you talk about what's behind this wave of—and wave um, uh, doesn't really state it accurately. We're talking about, as you've documented, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of bills that have been put forward across the country. This is political theater. They are doing this the MAGA, to pander to a MAGA Republican base in so many of these states. Look, the majority of the people support the LGBTQ plus community. 70% of Americans support the LGBTQ plus community and believe that we, that legislators should be standing with our values. One in five of Generation Z identifies as a member of this community. 20 million American adults. This is not an issue of the margins. What we're seeing play out is a loud and vocal minority that is sowing hate and fear against our community because they're not willing to solve the real problems. If they actually cared about the safety of our kids, they would be moving forward legislation to prevent gun violence, the number one killer of our children, not taking away the, the rights of parents to support our kids and in growing into their fullest selves. Over the weekend, U.S. District Judge Thomas Parker ruled a new Tennessee law restricting drag performances in public was unconstitutional. Um, this is drag performer C.N. Howe at a Pride event in Franklin, Tennessee. Having the answer finally delivered and that breath of fresh air and that weight off our shoulders that it's finally gone, we don't have to worry about it, is lovely. We can breathe easy for the rest of the year. Um, there's still a fight, and there's, we still have to continue fighting. Um, there's still other states that we are drag is still being criminalized that we still have to work on, but this is definitely a step in the right direction. And in related news, a federal judge blocked parts of a Florida law banning gender-affirming care for transgender youth. Judge Robert Hinkle asserted gender identity is real, and he ruled in favor of three families with three trans transgender children who be allowed to obtain prescription puberty blockers. So there is very bad news, but also good news. And some of these rulings are by Trump-appointed judges. Yes, that's very true. I mean, that's just showing the extent to which that they are going, how unconstitutional the laws are that they're passing in these states. But the thing that I really want to pull forward is the impact is real. The fact that over 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills have been introduced, even if they don't pass into law, it is having a devastating impact on the safety and well-being of our community. And when you match that with easy access to firearms, with an extreme rhetoric of hate, that's where we're getting these 
real life outcomes of violence from kids having increased incidents of mental health crises to real assaults at drag queen story hours or bomb threats on hospitals. That's why this is such a crisis right now, because it's got the legislative impact, the human impact, and then it's creating a culture of fear for our community because we know they're trying to push us back into the closet right now. And we are doing all that we can to show up in joyful resistance and resilience to make that not the case, not only for ourselves today, but for every young person that's watching this play out. So talk about doing this as uh, presidential candidates are coming forward and taking very strong stands against the gay community um, uh, in in the Republican field, everyone from uh, Governor DeSantis of Florida to the former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley. Can you talk about what you hope declaring this national state of emergency, how it will affect the presidential campaign? You know, I have to say that what I see playing out in the Republican primary is devastating, it's sickening, and it's horrifying. They are pandering, again, to an extremist base and sowing fear against our kids, against our trans children only for political gain. They know that this isn't where the majority of the country is. They know that we've identified 62 million voters in the country that prioritize LGBTQ plus issues when deciding who to vote for. That's, of course, LGBTQ plus people, but that's also our allies, our friends, our family. We can't allow them to continue this line of attack. And even more so, we've got to bolster up our champions. We've got to make sure that everyone that is a supporter and ally of this community turns into a champion in 2024 to hold the strongest line possible. We can't cede ground to these bullies, especially politically. And at the end of the day, we also have to recognize that this is an intersectional attack. The same people that are coming after gender-affirming care are also attacking our access to abortion. The same people that are trying to outlaw the ability to teach queer theories in schools are trying to outlaw, ban, or excuse me, ban books and outlaw the ability to teach about Black history. They are launching an attack on all of our communities that is truly a crisis to our democracy. I wanted to ask you about what's happening in the United States going global, Kelly. In May, the Ugandan president, Yoweri Museveni, signed a sweeping anti-LGBTQ measure into law that makes same-sex relationship punishable by life in prison, even the death penalty in some cases. It's one of the most draconian anti-LGBTQ laws in the world. In April, we spoke to the Ugandan activist Frank Mugisha about the role of U.S. evangelicals in pushing this law forward in Uganda. The homophobia and transphobia we are seeing towards queer and trans persons in Uganda is from the West. It is mostly peddled by extreme American evangelicals. Just last week, we had American evangelicals in Uganda attending a conference that was titled the Interparliamentary Conference on African Values. But the agenda for this conference was anti-gay and anti-gender. In fact, some of the African members of parliament who attended this conference are trying to introduce similar legislation in other countries. For example, Kenya 
a member of parliament who attended this conference in Uganda that was heavily supported by American evangelicals is now trying to introduce a similar legislation in Kenya. We are seeing this anti-gay uh, propaganda and anti-gay legislations moving around Africa. Ghana already has one. We are worried about other countries like Burundi, Tanzania, that could, could introduce similar legislations. So that's Frank Mugisha, the LGBTQ activist in Uganda. So many uh, LGBTQ people are fleeing Uganda right now with the passage and signing of this law, Kelly Robinson. Uh, in that conversation, he particularly focused on the American evangelical Scott Lively, uh, who talked about homosexuality as a Western agenda. Can you talk about um, how what's happening in the United States is having such a massive effect globally. I mean, it's it's heartbreaking. It truly is. It is devastating to see um, how impactful that that piece of legislation is in Uganda. And we know that it's true what he's saying, that the same people that are pushing these anti-LGBTQ plus laws in the United States, they are exporting this hate. They are using places like Uganda and the full African region as a testing ground for what they hope to do in the United States of America. These are groups that are designated hate groups like the Alliance to Defend Freedom. This is a true crisis. You know, and it's also heartbreaking because American used to be the, America used to be the beacon of hope. We used to be going to countries talking about what it means to expand rights to people. And now this is the legacy that we're moving forward. All of us need to see this for exactly what it is, a precursor to what they also want to make true in the United States of America. And finally, Kelly, if you can talk about what you feel people need to do in this time as your organization has designated a national emergency. I think that we need to recognize that first, there are children looking to us to see what we are going to do and say in this moment, to see if we will stand up for their lives, if we will validate their humanity and their dignity. And all of us have a responsibility to do that vocally and proudly. We have to stand up and tell our stories in every way that we can about being a member of the community or being an ally to this community. You have to take political action, contact your legislatures and tell them not to mess with our trans kids, not to mess with the LGBTQ plus community. And ultimately, we have to vote. We have to change the political dynamics in this country so that it is no longer advantageous to our opposition to attack uh, the LGBTQ plus community. We can get on the other side of this issue, but we've got to do it together. Well, Kelly Robinson, I thank you so much for being with us, president of the Human Rights Campaign, the nation's largest LGBTQ plus civil rights organization for the first time in its 40-year history. It is declared a national emergency for the LGBTQ plus community. Coming up, Cornell West, the famed public intellectual, has just announced he's running for president to challenge both the Democratic and Republican parties. Stay with us.
Rise up by the Freedom Affair. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Well, the 2024 presidential race is becoming more crowded. Former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie and former Vice President Mike Pence have both joined the Republican race. Meanwhile, the philosophy professor and civil rights activist Cornel West has announced he's running for president as a candidate with the People's Party. In a short video released Monday, Dr. West criticized both the Democratic and Republican parties. We're not talking about hating anybody. We're talking about loving. We're talking about affirming. We're talking about empowering those who have been pushed to the margins. Because neither political party wants to tell the truth about Wall Street, about Ukraine, about the Pentagon, about big tech. West's announcement surprised many political observers. In 2008, he endorsed Barack Obama, but later became a vocal critic of the Obama-Biden administration. In 2016 and 2020, he backed Bernie Sanders in the Democratic primaries. Cornel West is now running as a member of the People's Party, which was founded by a former staffer of Sanders after the 2016 election as an alternative to the two-party system. This will be the first time the party has fielded a candidate for president. According to the New Republic, the People's Party has ballot access in barely a handful of states. Dr. West is one of the nation's most recognized public intellectuals. He's a professor of philosophy and Christian practice at Union Theological Seminary. He formerly taught at Princeton and Harvard universities. He's joining us now from Irvine, California. Cornell West, welcome back to Democracy Now! It's great to have you with us. Can you talk about why you've decided to run for president of the United States? First, Sister Amy, I want to salute you. You are an exemplar of longevity, of integrity and consistency. And, you know, we go back many, many decades. So I just want to uh, always begin on that note. You're putting a smile on Brother George and Sister Dorothy's face, your precious parents. But no, my uh, uh, announcement of running for president of the United States to um, be head of the empire to help dismantle uh, uh, it in such a way that poor and working people would be at the very center, at the very core of our vision of what a good society actually is. It has to do, as you can imagine, with the, these, these very bleak times and very desperate times. So it's a kind of act of desperation. You know, I'm 70 years old. I've been at this for 55 years, and I have a calling that flows out of the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. and Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel and Edward Zaid and Chief Joseph and Dorothy Day and Grace Lee Boggs and Louisa Marino. All of those are the best of America. And I think uh, we're at such a low point that America needs to be reintroduced to its best. And its best has always been the movement's for justice, the struggles for freedom, the, the solidarity based on a fundamental commitment to the dignity of those sly stone calls everyday people. And there's no doubt in my mind that the two-party system now is a major impediment for the empowerment of poor and working people. I'm thoroughly convinced that, uh, of course, the neo-fascist Republican Party 
uh, has already made it very clear that they 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 tied to big business and big military, big tech, and so forth. And the milk toast neoliberal Democratic Party seem, strikes me as being incapable of taking seriously the fundamental needs of poor and working people, not just here, but around the world. The militarism abroad, seven billion dollars frozen for Afghan. Brothers and sisters in Afghanistan and what, what's been AFRICOM in Africa and what's been going on in the Middle East. Thank God that you keep track of the precious Palestinian brothers and sisters and all the hell that they're catching. It's, you have it every day. And I thank God that you do. Why? Because Palestinian peoples deserve to have a visibility in terms of their suffering and ways in which they can attempt to get out from under. Same would be true, of course, for our Jewish brothers and sisters in a Russia or in a, a France where their, their rights are being violated. We're wrestling with organized greed. We're wrestling with institutionalized hatred. We saw that with our precious gay brothers and lesbian sisters and queer siblings uh, uh, in the earlier report. But it's also a matter of routinized indifference. There's an indifference to the plight of the vulnerable more and more. It's becoming not just a fad in the fashion, it's becoming a normalized way of life. And that is what leads toward wholesale fascism, not just here, but in other parts of the world. And we've seen it, of course, in Hungary. You see it, we saw it in Brazil. We can go on and on in this regard. So for me, it's really a matter of trying to be consistent with what I've been about for the last 55 years. Cornell, you talk about militarism. I want to ask you about Russia's invasion of Ukraine. In March of last year, you told The New Yorker, we must try to stop the war, recognizing that the American empire has little or no moral authority when it comes to violation of international law and the overthrow of national sovereignty, as in Latin America, the Middle East and Asia. You've also called Putin—you've um, uh, uh, been severely critical of President Putin um, for the invasion. Talk about your views on what happened, what is happening, and how the war needs to end. Well, one, I think you have the clash of two empires. The Russian Empire is a deeply wounded empire. It's had its territory cut back. Of course, its economy is shrinking. And then you've got the American empire, which is the most powerful empire in the history of the world. In fact, it's the 68th empire out of the 70, going back to the beginning of the human species. And so on the one hand, you have the promise of the American empire to the elites in the Russian empire. We will not move an inch. And within decades 14 of the satellite countries of the Soviet Union, the former Soviet Union, are part of NATO. There's missiles right on the borders and boundaries of the Russian Empire. Now, we know empires behave like empires. I mean, if there's missiles in Canada and Mexico, the U.S. government would blow them to smithereens quick. We saw it in Cuba in 1962. So that empires behave like empires. They're greedy. They're driven by predatory capitalist dispositions. They're obsessed with hierarchy. They're concerned with domination and conquest. The Alexander the Great, associated with a grand empire. 
so that in that regard, there's no doubt in my mind that the expansion of NATO has played a, uh, a crucial role in the wounded Russian Empire with all of its repression, all of its regimentation. Let us never forget about the thousands of Russian brothers and sisters who are going to jail in opposition to gangster Putin's criminal invasion. But he's pushed against the wall and he responds. That's how heads of empire respond. So we've got to be in solidarity with the suffering of Ukrainian brothers and sisters. But we have to recognize NATO is a instrument of American imperial foreign policy. We've seen it over and over again. And so we're witnessing a proxy war. There must be a ceasefire. There must be a stopping of that war. Why? We're on the road to nuclear war. That's the last thing we want to see, my dear sister. And as president, what exactly would you do to stop that war? Oh, one is I, 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 I would pull back on the U.S. military support. I would sit down with the elites from the Chinese empire, given all of their forms of regimentation and repression in their own uh, context. Think about our precious Muslim brothers and sisters in China, the Uyghurs. But I would sit down with the Chinese. I would sit down with the Ukrainians. I would sit down with the Russians and say, we're going to stop this war and we're going to come up with a... A plan, a process with a variety of voices heard to make sure that the suffering stops and we understand and we're honest about the larger context of the war. And unfortunately, we just don't get this kind of perspective, you know, in corporate media. Thank God for democracy now. And uh, uh, thank God for a few other uh, venues to try to tell the truth about this, because, you know, my dear sister Amy, that I am um, I'm a jazz man in American politics and jazz is about blues and blues is about catastrophe, lyrically expressed and candidly confronted and artistically transfigured. And catastrophes have to be wrestled with. It can be ecological ones. It could be economic ones, a grotesque wealth inequality. It can be social ones, political ones, psychic ones. And then there is swing, which is a different conception of time. So we have ways of authorizing a better future given what seem to be all of the closed roots, all of the foreclosures, all of the alternatives trumped. So you have to make sure that the vitality and energy that you have swings in such a way that you never lose hope in having solidarity with oppressed people around the world. And of course, the third element is improvisation. And improvisation is about what? Well, it's not just an artistic skill. Deron Carter's geniuses like that still alive uh, remind us. It's also a form of practical wisdom. As freedom fighters, we've got to be improvisational. We got to be flexible. We got to be fluid. We got to be protein. We got to learn how to listen. We can't be dogmatic. We can't be ossified. We can't be petrified in how we look at the world. And right now, we have to have presidential debates and politics in which people who look at the world look at the world through the lens of what the great Franz Fanon called the wretched of the earth. Cornel Poor West. people and working people, no matter what color, gender, sexual orientation, national identity, or region. 
Cornell, you were a surrogate for Bernie Sanders. In fact, in 2016, um, he chose you as one of the people um, to write the Democratic Party platform. Have you talked to him about your campaign, you deciding to go outside the two-party system? He ran as an—although he is an independent and a socialist, he ran inside the Democratic Party. And has he given you advice? No, no, I haven't talked to Bernie recently. We just did a wonderful event uh, based on his wonderful book with Brother John Nichols uh, uh, there in Brooklyn Academy of Music. We had a wonderful time, Sister Jane and my beloved wife, Anahita. We, we had a wonderful time with him. And Bernie will always be my brother. I've got a forever love for that brother. We just have disagreements. I don't think he would be surprised, though, because I, of course, supported the Greens with Sister Jill Stein. Uh, after I supported him, just like I'd gone back to the great Ralph Nader. And a lot of people uh, try to view those two as spoilers. They're not spoilers at all. You had mediocre neoliberal candidates who could not galvanize the public, so you don't blame it on the weaker parties. And you'll never, we will never actually be able to deal with the escalating fascism in America with milk toast neoliberalism. You just end up with caretaker government. You end up with postponing the collapse of democracy, as my dear brother Jeff Stout says. Well, you have to get at the roots of fascism, which means I'm going to Trump country, Sister Amy. I'm going to talk to those white brothers and talk to those white sisters and say, quit scapegoating the most vulnerable. Let us confront the most powerful. I don't have a minute for any kind of xenophobia, but at the same time, I know you're catching hell. I know you, many of you have been losers in corporate globalization. You've been pushed against the wall by big monopolies and, mono and, 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 and oligopolies. You have difficulty trying to engage in any kind of unionization. You have to transform and transpose and filter your fears through different means rather than following a neo-fascist Pied Piper. We got to be able to speak to these folk directly and as fellow citizens. And I plan to do that. Now, of course, I come out of the black tradition. And so I've, I've got to wrestle with my own black bourgeoisie. I got to wrestle with my own black politicians who reinforce the neoliberal hegemony in the black community. And I got to do it lovingly, but I'm going to do it in a very direct way that they in many ways have given up on the legacy of Martin Luther King Jr. They've become intoxicated too often with the felicities of bourgeois existence, intoxicated with the wine of the world as the great Negro National anthem, Lift Every Voice, says. But we got p black poor, black working people catching hell, mass incarceration, crime against humanity. Who's a major architect of mass incarceration? Joe Biden. Invasion and occupation of Iraq. How many precious Iraqis killed? At least half a million. Iraqi life has exactly the same value as a life anywhere else in the world, as a Palestinian life, a Jewish life, a Lithuanian life, an Ethiopian life, Professor, Mormon life, whatever. Professor West, I wanted to go to one of your first campaign videos, which features a clip of an interview you did with podcaster Joe Rogan. Um, last year, Spotify faced a wave of calls to remove Rogan from its platform per, for promoting misinformation about COVID-19. But also, after this video resurfaced, showing Rogan using the N-word on his show two dozen times. I just want to play a clip. 
you know, the thing. Yeah. saying the word. I You've already said D is just like saying she's calling you a like this boy that he's a that starts calling them. You had people like um, India Are and others um, actually pull their uh, music from Spotify. She would later put it back on uh, and said she felt like she'd accomplished a lot in pointing out what he was doing, especially in using the N-word. Can you talk about why you featured him in your campaign ad? Well, one, is it's an attempt to show that we have to have a realignment, which means you have to be able to speak to people you have some deep disagreements with. And, uh, I mean, Brother Joe Rogan, you know, he said a number of things that I have, you know, deep disagreements with. I I don't think that censorship, for the most part, is the proper or appropriate way. I I, I really don't. I think that... uh, People must be free to express themselves, but you would hope that they would have respect for others, especially uh, uh, black folk, indigenous peoples, gay brothers, lesbian sisters, Jews, Muslims, Arabs, those who traditionally have been been, been degraded. Uh, but I think it's very important that we have conversations across ideological and political lines, and therefore— they're going to say it's sometimes some things that we have to call into question. We keep them accountable. I'm glad that the great uh, Indian Ari uh, did that. that uh, that's a beautiful. That's a beautiful thing. Uh, that she has a right to do that as well to keep him accountable. Uh, but I am suspicious of this censorship because usually the censorship in the end zeroes in on freedom fighters, love warriors. The wounded healers. You think of the great Paul Robeson. You think of Claudia Jones. You think W.B. Du Bois. You think of Louisa Marino, who I'd mentioned, one of the greatest of the Latino freedom fighters of the, uh, uh, in the last 150 years, who was deported to Guatemala because she supposedly had communist associations and so forth. So that that kind of censorship is something that I'm very, very uh, uh, suspicious of. I've got deep libertarian sensibilities in that regard. Um, Indy Ari also said she's against cancel culture and ultimately went back on Spotify. So, uh, you know, Democracy Now!, we ask very critical questions. I also want to read from a New Republic article about your candidacy and about the People's Party. The article states, quote, While the party began in 2017 with noble roots to form a new political party independent from corporate money and influence, it's been mired in troubling allegations, as well as broader organizational dysfunction, numerous sources of corroborated sexual harassment allegations against party founder Nick Brana. Last year, former party member Paula Jean Swearingen said she'd witnessed Brana try to force himself onto former party executive director Zana Day, who confirmed the allegations herself. Numerous party board members were apparently forced out for encouraging investigations into the allegations and questioning whether Brana was still fit to lead the party, unquote. Brana has also praised the prominent anti-vaxxer Robert Kennedy Jr., who's also running for president, but as a Democrat. He described Kennedy as a, quote, courageous leader whose environmental and vaccine advocacy has illuminated issues that few dare to confront. Um, So he's the founder of the party that you're running with, the People's Party. Talk about why you chose the People's Party and if you would like to respond to those allegations. Um, And also the bigger point of why you didn't choose, for example, if you wanted to be outside the race, the Green Party 
which has more ballot access. But that's a lot there, Cornell. Yeah, no, indeed. And I appreciate that question, too, my dear sister. I mean, I mean, I have a great love for my Green Party brothers and sisters. I've worked twice with them. And so I have nothing against their third party operations. It would be nice if we had even a coming together. But that's something that is for a different show. But in terms of the history of the People's Party, you know, I was there at the founding. There's no doubt about that. And uh, I've been a, a kind of honorary member of the board, even though I haven't participated. So I haven't followed all of the insides and outsides uh, of what has happened. It strikes me that there's been some very bad and ugly moments. There's no doubt about that. But I don't want to adjudicate as to who actually is guilty or who's actually innocent, because I just don't know. But there has to be accountability, and especially when it comes to sexual harassment in terms of sisters of any color, that those are very, very important uh, uh, issues to wrestle with and very serious charges in that regard. But as I said before, that for me, I, I wanted to be able to bring a serious critique to bear on the corporate duopoly. And uh, uh, the People's Party... In its inception and in its vision is a populist one. So you got a number of different voices, heterogeneous. It's got a, it is very loose. A lot of people say, well, is it an organization at all? I mean, it does anything hold it together and so forth and so on. Well, that, that we shall see. Those are very important questions. I don't want to act as if uh, uh, they aren't serious challenges. Uh, but I think that... Uh, if we can deliver uh, in such a way that we are treating each and every working person and poor people of any color with great respect in this campaign, if we can raise voices to shape the discourse and dialogue in this campaign, if we can not just bring pressure to bear, but begin to point out that the choice between the neo-fascist Brother Trump, criminal in so many ways, and the milk toast Biden, who's so tied into corporate wealth and corporate power, they can have austerity in the recent debt ceiling agreement and still allowed military expansion, that we might be able to go much further than a lot of people think, a lot of people think. But that history, you know, has to be wrestled with. I don't I don't want to downplay that at all. I just hope that we really do keep the focus, though, on um, uh, um, what can be done at this particular moment, not to erase the history, but to make sure that as we make history in this moment, that we are doing all and everything we can. So, Cornel West, what sure would you poor do? Make people and working people are at the center. And what would you do about immigration rights right now in this country, about reproductive rights right now in this country, and about this incredible threat to the country, the greatest domestic violence threat, which is white supremacy? You were at the Unite the Right rally um, in Virginia, not okay. participating in it, but there when you saw the neo-Nazis march threatening you. Absolutely. I mean, Brother Martin used to say that the bombs that we drop 
abroad land at home. The militarism around the world comes back to haunt us, and we've got police departments that are militarized. You have to break the back of the culture of silence of the police departments that think they can get away with mistreating it brutalizing, sometimes murdering fellow citizens. And as you know, those fellow citizens are disproportionately black and brown, but it includes all colors in terms of police murders every year at the Washington Post and other newspapers keep track of. But you've got to, as, as, as a president, you've got to use whatever charisma, whatever language, whatever eloquence you can to try to ensure that you set an atmosphere such that mechanisms of accountability, not just in police departments, but at the workplace. We need workers control it. Rick Wolf and others have talked about not just at the workplace, but in our cultural life. The organized greed has been on steroids, commodify everything, everything for sale, everybody's for sale. That must be radically called into question. And as a leader, you call for spiritual awakening, moral reckoning, and try to, in some sense, exemplify that, not just in your policies, you see, but in your tone. Cornell, your we temper, have 10 seconds. In your vision. Well, I want to thank you so oh, much. But immigration, though, you've got to treat each immigrant with dignity. Oh, that's the beginning part, but I know we've got a longer discussion on that. Dr. Cornell West has just announced he's running for president with the People's Party. Philosopher, author, critic, actor, civil rights activist, and professor of philosophy and Christian practice at Union Theological Seminary. Author of many books. I'm Amy Goodman. Thanks for joining us.